Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The story of Peter is just an unbelievable story. We go from the goofy guy who could not do anything right, uh, much like how they present fathers nowadays, um, to this man that that people are calling upon. And we'll get into more about that, but uh, uh, let's jump in, and we're going to be in verse uh, 32 of Acts 9. It says, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydia. Now, Peter is, is basically out traveling around the countryside doing some different ministry, and he comes to Lydia, uh, Lydia, or Lydia and there's already a church there. And we don't know if, uh, you know, maybe somebody came along after Pentecost uh, and, and came back to, to Lydia and, and decided to start a church there, or, or, or maybe Philip, you know, on his way through, uh, stopped and preached there. And, you know, but no matter how this church started, we see this, the, the, the continual spread of Christianity. Verse 33, it says, There he found a man named Aeneas, a a paralytic, who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Now this get up and take care of your mat, this is, it's almost like a flippant statement, almost like we tell a child, make your bed. You know, he's just like, well, we'll just pick up your mat and go. Come on, just, just get up. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon or Sharon saw him turn to the Lord. This is amazing. For, for those of us who have grown up in church, we've, we've read the scriptures over and over and over again. We're just like going through and, and we go, um, oh yes, somebody was healed here. Oh, they, they healed this person. They healed that person. But really, this is a magnificent story because somebody really is healed here. This is a miracle. This guy actually gets up and is able to walk at this point. And once again... The Lord turns someone else's crisis into a miracle. And this is what the Lord wants to do for our crisis within our lives. He allows us to to go through them so that when he steps in, everyone sees his hand at work. Eight years has been a long time for uh, for this young man. What were you doing eight years ago? Think about that for a second. Where were you eight years ago? Some of you are like, well, in my same job, in my same place of where I've lived for a long time. And, but, I mean, life was different eight years ago, wasn't it? The world was mu- a much different place. This guy has been crippled for eight years. This has been a long trial for him. And I, I imagine during the first year, the guy's sitting there going, this, this just doesn't make sense. Why am I like this, Lord? Why did this, you know, whatever happened, why did this happen to me? And then the the second year and the third year came along and and life just kind of continued for him. It wasn't until the eighth year that any of this started to make any sense whatsoever. And now the power of God has spoken and this guy is healed and it benefits others. And this is scriptural truth here. Sometimes the trials that we go through in life are just for others to see. And, And that just amazes me. And I'm sitting there going, you mean, Lord, I went through this whole thing just for that person? And he's going, yeah, and you're going to love them just the way I love them. Sometimes 
as we're going through it, we've prayed, we've repented, we've thought of everything that we could do to hurry this process along. Lord, why am I in this trial? Why am I going through this? Can you hurry up and get me to the end of it? I just want to get out of this situation. And yet we still find ourselves in the middle of this. During the eighth year of this man's trial, he experiences victory. And you will too if you're in a trial. The Lord promises it. The Lord sits there and says, I will get you through these things. How things are right now is is not how they will always be. But we have to persevere. Because if you don't persevere right here, you will never, never perceive what could be. You have to persevere in life. And we don't have to do it through our own energy. And I think that's really where, where we mess up a lot, isn't it? We go through life, and we're sitting there going, man, I, I, I'm just working. I'm, just, I'm trying to get through this. And we try to rely on our own strength. We don't go to the Lord. We don't go to those that are, that are deeper in the faith, and we go, can you help me with this? Can you pray with me about this situation? We just try to rely on our own energy. And it just wears us out. But with the strength of the Lord, He can make us, you know, get us through these trials. And when we do it, it's an amazing thing that the Lord will do. And it's amazing how we allow the Lord His timing, even when we don't understand what's going on. I mean, take time. If you're going through a trial, take time and and read the book of Job. And you will totally understand this a lot more. Job went through so many different things to the point where everybody around him was saying, hey, you just need to give up. You just need to just throw your hands up. In fact, you, you just need to curse God. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He persevered through it. If we can get to that place of maturity in our life, then we can relate to what these guys are going through more. We will, we will have matured in our walk with the Lord. Well, it goes on, it says in verse 36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which we, uh, when translated as Dorcas, and it really means gazelle. Now, in our language, we don't like the name Dorcas, do we? It takes me back to my junior high years. I'm sorry, it does. Tabitha sounds a lot better, doesn't it? So we'll go with that for right now. But it says, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. What is happening here is a cultural thing. Anytime somebody would die, they would wash the body, go through this this ritual, this preparation, and they would put them upstairs in the upstairs room, and then they would hire usually ladies to be down front. Now, some of them would be family members, and they wouldn't necessarily hire them, but they would literally be out in front of the house and wailing and mourning. I don't, um, in fact, when, when Brandon was born, there was a, a, unfortunately an incident in the hospital where a lady had passed away right after she had her child. And, and the culture was different. They're out in the middle of the halls just wailing. And, you know, I could feel their pain, but at the same time, I was sitting there going, get them out of here. Get, there, there's 37 other ladies here that don't want to hear this right now. You know, you, you feel for their pain, but they would wail. Well, this is the same thing. They, they would be out front just wailing. And they were paid to do this a lot of times. In verse 38, it says, Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now this woman was a, was a key leader in their church, even though she probably never taught a Bible study. 
She was a key leader because she was serving the body to the point where she was the one supplying the clothing for the community. And it's important for us to have people like this in the church. Somebody needed a meal, and man, this lady, it would just kind of show up. Whatever needs were out there, this lady was apparently was there and was ready just to give. She just had other people in mind all the time. And this is important for the church. And when she died, they missed her terribly. Now, what is amazing to me is that they felt like Peter could do something about it. Because all the stories we've heard about Peter have been the goofy stories, right? Here, Peter is starting to look like Christ. When, when Peter first met Jesus, he looked nothing like this. He was not the man that you went to and said, Hey, I need help in this situation. Can you come and help us out? He was not that guy. But with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by Acts chapter 9, they were calling on Peter like they would call on Christ. Hey, bring Peter. He can solve this. Peter sent, <coughs> Peter sent them all out of the room. And this is kind of just like Christ would have done. Didn't want to make a big show out of this. So he sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his hands and knees, or he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Now, again, for those of us who have read this a number of times, we miss the awe of this. We miss the wonder of this. This woman was dead, and now she's getting up. This is, is an amazing thing that's happening here. This happened. And it happened with a guy like Peter. <laughs> then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. You know, when, when Tabitha was, was dying, when she was going through whatever illness or whatever was going on in her life, none of it made sense. They needed her in the church. They needed her in that body. And when she had died, they're sitting there washing her body, ready to mourn, and none of this made sense whatsoever. Then Peter comes along and raises her from the dead, and it starts to make sense. And this kind of really speaks to, to all of us, especially for those of you know who are, in a sense, dying out there, going through a situation where it's just kind of, in a sense, killing you. You know, every which way you turn your head, it just, you just can't figure it out. It just doesn't make sense to you whatsoever, the situation you're in. Well, I say it's not really supposed to right now. Most of the time when we're in the middle of a, a situation like this, it doesn't make sense to us whatsoever. And we're just sitting there going, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I just want to be out of it. And that's usually our attitude here. Right now, just get through it. Tough it out. Keep your faith in God. Just hang on. Just let things go by the wayside here. And just focus on the Lord as you're going through whatever trial you're going through. And when you get to the other side, a lot of things will start to make sense. But right now, as you're going through these things, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. And that's okay. It's hard to see. But you know what? The Lord sees it and sustains you. The Lord takes you through that and knows what, what can be accomplished on the other side of it if you keep your faith in Him. So stop trying to fix everything. How many of us are fixers? Okay, three of us. Excellent. Well, there's three things I need fixed. Around. Okay, no, never mind. We're fixers. We go through and we go, oh, I can take care of that. 
And we can't figure out how to take care of it. Well, who can, let me get my phone out. Who can I call to come fix this? We like to fix things. Because then we're like, oh good, it's over and done with. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, Peter, verse 43, it says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with, Tanner, with a tanner named Simon. Now this is interesting. Because he's staying with a tanner. And we think, no big deal. He's just staying with a friend, a guy that, that he <coughs> met, maybe with somebody in the church. Well, Tanner processes animal hides. Peter is starting to let go of his legalistic ways. Because according to the book of Numbers and according to the book of, of Deuteronomy, he should totally avoid this guy. Because this guy touches dead animals. It would make Peter unclean. He wouldn't be able to go worship God according to, to the way he was raised. It's very hard for somebody who was raised in a legalistic household to let go. Even if you didn't grow up like this, the old adage is, you know, that we become our like parent. you know, we, I messed that one up. The old adage that we become like our parents, most of the time it's true. There are certain things that, that, I'm, that I look at my dad and I go, yeah, I, hey, I want to follow in those footsteps. And there's other things I'm sitting here going, oh, I can't believe I just did that. Oh, I couldn't stand it when my dad acted like this, and here I'm acting the same way. We oftentimes become like our parents. And for those of us who've been living with grace all our lives compared to to living with the legalistic side, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because, you know, many of us grew up with all these rules. This is right, this is wrong, and you don't cross this line. There's a very legalistic view of this. And, And... in many ways, that's a good thing. But, well, oftentimes, those translate over to the church to the point where, as we try to earn our father's appreciation in our lives or our mother's appreciation in our lives or our mother and father's love, we do the same thing with God. We try to earn his love or, or earn our way to salvation. If you were... If you were raised like this, I want to encourage you to read the book of Galatians. Or maybe even the book of Romans. Because we need to start letting the legalism in our lives go. For yourself and for other people. Because it drives both nuts. And we do this. Or we do this. We turn, our li- you know, turn from our list. You know, the list of this is what I do in life and this is what I don't do in life. To the point of where it says... This is how I respond when God does this in my life. You see the difference between the legalism of this is what I do to this is how I respond. This is how God has taught me how to respond when this situation hits me in life. And Peter is starting to let go. And we'll see him do this a lot. You know, we'll see him do it a lot. And we'll see him, see him do it really quickly here in the next few verses. In chapter 10 it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, just to give you a little background here, it was a very popular name in this era because there was a guy in 82 B.C. named Cornelius, and, and he released over 10,000 slaves in one day. He had 10, I mean, apparently he was a very rich man. He had 10,000 slaves, and he gave them all their freedom. So most of those slaves, in gratitude, changed their name to Cornelius. So you had all these guys running around with the name of Cornelius. So then all of a sudden it just kind of gets handed down through the generations, and you have this name here. It's a very common name, but this guy is not a very common guy. He was in charge of a hundred men. 
you know, this, this group of men is, um, he was centurion and, and, uh, you know, part of the Italian regiment and they were known for their bravery. They were known for, for, for their warrior style of being able to take charge and take care of things. So, so to be in charge, it meant that you were a great warrior and you were respected. It says here in Centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment, he and all his family were devout God and God-fearing. He gave graciously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he was stationed in Caesarea, which is a great location. And in fact, I, I got several pictures here of Caesarea. It's right on the coast. I mean, think of something like Monterey. Uh, beautiful weather time. Uh, my mind automatically goes to Hawaii, but most of you guys would relate to Monterey here. Um, you know, it, you know, it has a big theater and and a big Roman track. This is a a huge theater. In fact, uh, Donna Black's not here, so she would kill me for for telling this story. But when we were there visiting, she accidentally slipped, and these these rows are about that far apart, each row, and they're very steep. She actually slipped and started rolling down the steps. And she hit about three steps down before I caught her and, and stopped her from rolling all the way down to the bottom because she was going to go all the way down. But, I mean, uh, but big theater, I mean, this was a wonderful city. A lot of, you know, great nightlife, if you want to call it that. And, and they have this huge Roman tract. It's kind of being overtaken by the ocean now. And, and they would race uh, chariots and different things back and forth on this. So, I mean, this was a hopping town. So he was actually being rewarded because he was respected the warrior here. But it still would have been a hard time for him or, or to actually to hang out with him if you were a Christian. Why? The Roman uniform. This Roman uniform killed your Christ not too many years ahead of this. So you had this centurion that was a, a God-fearing uh, Jew. And in verse 3 it says, on, a day about, uh, on one day about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinct, distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. So he knew God enough to know how to respond. What is it, Lord? He didn't say, well, who are you, like, like Paul did. He just said, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. If you ever thought whether your actions come up before God, the good things that we do for the Lord, Right here is your proof. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and devout soldiers, or soldier, and... uh, and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now what is interesting to me is that we know that Philip is already in this town ministering to the people. He has a church there. He has four daughters who are prophets in this church. So his his ministry is already kind of hopping in this area. So why did the Lord choose Peter here to go to the same area and do this? Why would the, the Lord do this? Well, what are you doing, Lord? Well, are you, there, there's Philip right there. But the Lord has an, another plan here, as he often does. The Lord is working on Philip about the Samaritans and the Gentiles, and now he starts to work on Peter about the Gentiles. 
Verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, the roof was like a, a lot like a patio. In the Middle East, what they would do is they would, they would build from ground up, and, the, and their, their roof would just be a flat roof. And they would kind of have a half wall up there, and that would be where they hung out. That would be their backyard, in a sense, because, you know, they didn't have sprinklers with grass and all that kind of stuff. That was their, you know, backyard, was, was their patio on top of their house. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven, and, uh, he saw heaven opened in something like a large sheet. And, and this would have been like a large cell. Uh, the translation would be like a, a ship cell because this is a, a, a port uh, where all the ships would be. So he could look out and see the ships. And So this was what was going on. This large sheet or cell was coming down, being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and, and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Wait a second. Peter says, Surely not, Lord. What is wrong with that sentence? You cannot say, Lord, which means what? Ultimate master? And then say, I won't do it or you're wrong. You can't put those in the same sentence. It just sounds odd. But Peter is, you know, he's used to correcting Christ, isn't he? The three years that they sat in ministry, Peter often corrected Christ. So he's used to that kind of relationship. Why would he choose to disobey the Lord? Because he's being legalistic. He's being one of those guys that's sitting there going, I have followed the rules and you're not going to get me to break the rules. They're your rules, Lord. Because according to Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, there are animals that are not kosher. And it has something to do with the, the split hooves or, or, or the non-split hooves and the you know, four legs or not four legs. There's all these rules. You can't even touch them without having to go through a cleaning process before you go before the Lord to worship Him. So verse 15, it says, The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that the Lord has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. When Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So while Peter is having this vision, these men have come across from across town to meet him. And once again, we start to see the Lord's timing. We saw it with Philip on, on the road with the Ethiopian. We saw it with the Apostle Paul and Ananias in Damascus. And now we see it here again. Now what is fascinating is that when we see this happen in our own lives, and I hope one day the Lord will show us how many times He actually did this. Maybe it's a, a movie in heaven and He takes out all the bad parts of our lives and says, okay, here's all the times that I worked something out in your life and you had no clue whatsoever. I kind of hope he does that kind of stuff for us. Because I'm convinced if we started to pay attention more, more often in our own life, we would see the Lord's hand in our life more. And every now and then we start to catch a glimpse of God working. Where we start to go, wow, man, that, that was neat how it all came together. And we know the Lord's hand was in the middle of it. So they're hollering up. And, you know, is there anybody there known, you know, known as Peter? And verse 19 says, While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Man, I, I'd love it if this happened in my life all the time. 
I just had an angel up there. It would just tell me what's going on. It would make it easier, wouldn't it? Alan, this is what's going to happen. Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Be no discussion, you know. Lord, is this really from you? The angel, no, it's for me. Okay, I'll go. So what's going on with Peter? Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? These men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the, into the house to be his guest. Now once again, Peter's legalism is being challenged here. He just invited Gentiles into his home where he was staying. And they're going to stay overnight. Chances are they probably ate together. This would have been a huge deal. This is not just like, hey, come on in, eat something. No. You know, back then you just didn't eat with somebody on a whim. Mealtime was a sacred time. You didn't just sit down with your enemy. You did not sit down with a Gentile or, or someone who was unclean because that fellowship was so important. In fact, most of the time, the food would have been brought and sat down in the middle of the table and you would have reached out your hand and just grabbed a piece of whatever's in the middle of the table and, and started eating on it. So if somebody was unclean, whether righteously, you know, whether they, you know, ritually, or whether, or whether literally, you know, unclean, their hands are dirty, you're eating off the same thing they're eating off of. So it was very important who you ate with. You ripped the bread off from the same source that they did. This was a big no-no. If you're a Gentile and you touch my food, I can't eat now because you're unclean. So Peter, he invites these guys in. It's like the Old Testament is being thrown out the window. Is it? Is the Old Testament literally being ignored here? Yes and no. Yes, some of the rules are, in a sense are being ignored, but Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. So he's changing things now. And the Lord is saying to Peter, I am not prejudiced against the Gentiles anymore. Well, not, I, I misspoke there. The Lord's never been prejudiced against the, uh, the Gentiles. He's just provided a way for them to come to him now. So Peter's preconceived notions are, are literally being broken down. And this had to be a little confusing for Peter. But the Lord gives him you know, directions and he questions it. And the Lord repeats it three times. This is so important because the Lord is so patient with us. Peter just keeps asking the Lord, asking direction from the Lord. And really this is the best way to get direction from the Lord is to go to him and ask him. The Lord didn't give Peter the, you know, the big picture from the very beginning. He didn't say, okay, this is going to happen, and then two days later, this is going to happen, and then I want you to go to here, and this is what's going to happen. He didn't do that. He didn't tell Peter in the dream to, to accept a Roman centurion into his life. He started out with food, and it wasn't even very clear about the food from the beginning, but the Lord confirms it with the circumstances. Three guys knows he is there. Three guys know that he's at the tanner's house. Three guys know both his Jewish name and his, and his Roman name. And three guys show up right as three, the three visions end. Peter just goes with it because he knows it's from the Lord. And the longer we start to, you know, the longer we walk with the Lord, we start to understand what is from the Lord and what is not. 
What is that feeling like? Man, that gut feeling like, man, the Lord's working right here versus, man, I just didn't need something. I mean, something just didn't, didn't work well with me. We start to understand the difference between, man, I, I, I really got a bad feeling about this or I got a great feeling about it versus somebody over here going, well, I just don't like it. Okay, well, then we won't do it. You start to get that feeling the longer we walk with the Lord. And we'll make, you know, we'll make some mistakes along the way. And that's called walking in faith. But when you pray about a decision and we start to seek the Lord and we start to give Him control of our lives, and then time comes when we make a wrong decision, you know what? I say the Lord will cover you. Why would I say the Lord will cover you? Because He goes with your heart. At least you started seeking Him about it. And over time, He will teach you the difference between listening to Him and maybe the pizza you ate last night. Because you were seeking the Lord and you tried to do the right thing. Therefore, we don't have to be you know, afraid of making mistakes in our life. And I think that, you know, that, that causes a lot of indecisions in Christians' lives. Because we're so afraid that we're going to make the wrong decision. And the Lord's sitting there going, just make a decision, will you? At least I can deal with it at that point, but your indecision is causing so many issues. What we need to be afraid of is not seeking the Lord in the first place. Peter was seeking the Lord on the roof, and the Lord gave him something to do. And he had the choice to either obey or disobey. Either way, he had the choice. This is the truth that helps us in the decisions in our life. It starts by seeking the Lord. Lord, should I do this or should I not? Lord, should, should I say yes or should I say no? Lord, should I buy this or should I not buy this? Now, these are self-oriented questions. What about other-oriented questions? You know, about concerned about other people. Lord, do you want me to share my faith with this person right now or not? Lord, do you want me to help out with this need or not? And when you do this, the Lord will develop that gut feeling about what the Lord would have you to do. Well, let's see what happens. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, he had no idea a huge group was going to be there, to, you know, waiting his arrival. But Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. And what this means is, he fell down and he started worshiping Peter. And Peter finally said, what? Finally, I get some recognition here. You know, I, I kind of, I kind of laugh about this because this week my wife had uh, had surgery to take care of the fibroid issue that we had with when we had Brandon, and our doctor was kind of an interesting guy. Apparently, he's like one of the top guys in his field. He's up at Stanford. I don't know how we got connected with him, but his bedside manner—you heard of doctors' bedside manners, you know. But this doctor is a different culture than, than what we grew up in. He's Middle Eastern. And pats on the back and letters to him, that all matters. You go into his office and every room that we went into, there's letters plastered all over the walls about how great this guy was. So we go for the, the post-op um, uh, afterward, you know, a couple of days later, and we're in an office and the guy's sitting there going, I did a great job, didn't I? And, and I would try to do the accent, but it would come out Indian, so I, I won't try it. But uh, 
we're sitting there going, Lisa goes, well, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I, until she heals, she doesn't know if the guy did a great job or not. But this guy just kind of looked at us like he was wanting us to heap praise on him. Just pat him on the back. And we're sitting here going, thank you. He didn't know what to do about that. Peter used to be that kind of guy. I'm the greatest. Didn't I do great? You know, Jesus, didn't I? Aren't I awesome? And over time, his life has changed into what? I'm glad you worship me? No. Get up. Don't do that. Verse 26, it says, But Peter made him get up. <coughs> Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a, uh, with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call, on any, or not call any man impure or unclean. So he's starting to learn here. So when, Peter, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, my reaction is, who are you and what have you done with the Peter that I know? Because this is not the Peter I know. This guy is the guy who preached at Pentecost. He doesn't ask, why have you sent for me? But now, he's in, full of, you know, in this house full of Gentiles and he's sitting there going... What do you want from me? Peter, what do you think they want from you? Preach, man. Go for it. And he's caught up in this. I, this is such a weird situation for me. I don't know what to do. His tongue is tied. Now, why do you think his tongue is tied? I think it's because of prejudice. I think he is so uncomfortable because he is a Jew that has always done what the Jews should do. I've, <coughs> I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never not followed the law. And here he is breaking the law, and he's a house, and he's in a house full of Gentiles. He's in a non-kosher environment. He, he's probably not even sure he wants to be there, but he's going to follow what the Lord told him to do. There's a Roman uniform right there in front of him, the same uniform that crucified Christ. He has brought his prejudice into his Christianity. And we really have to watch this. We can't be prejudiced and be a Christian. We can't. There's a bondage there. Peter's sitting there thinking, man, none of them are Jewish. There's a natural tendency to look down upon others that don't think like us, isn't there? We have skin prejudices. We look at somebody who has different color skin and we kind of back off a little bit. We have economic prejudice. Somebody who maybe doesn't make as much money or doesn't live in the same style as, as I do... So therefore, we're kind of back off a little bit. You know, maybe we can kind of look at them weird. There's no place for this type of action in the body of Christ. We need to start seeing people as Christ sees them. This is why I think it's you know, important for every Christian at some point in their life, if they can, to go on a mission trip overseas. Or a place where, where the primary language is not English. Where you see other people worshiping the same God as you in a different language. Because you will see the Lord work with all types of people in all types of situations. It will change your view of who God is. Verse 30, Cornelius answered. Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. 
at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered, <coughs> remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good, good of you to come. He's recognizing, hey, I know you're uncomfortable. It was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter's probably sitting there thinking, but I'm still a little uncomfortable here, guys. And he's mulling through the mind, you know, through his mind, the vision of the meat that he had. Is this what God meant? Is this what God really wanted? Cornelius is a God-fearing man who still needed Jesus. Even good guys need Jesus. Even good people need Jesus. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. Now he's starting to preach what he learned in Acts chapter 2. But he's starting to realize it meant that these guys also were were acceptable into the kingdom. Remember what he says in Acts chapter 2? I will pour out my spirit on what? All Jews? No. I will pour out my spirit on all men. And this includes these guys right here. The Lord is bringing Peter, uh, you know, kind of up to his own teaching. The light bulb is kind of, in a sense, going off for him now. And the next, you know, verses, verses 36 through 43, you know, if you're looking for a way to teach about Christ, about Jesus, this is short and sweet. And here it is. Verse 36, it says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling them the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee and after the baptism of John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. We are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Short and sweet and simple. Well, let's wrap up and starting verse 44. It says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And this is the next outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Remember that we said we kind of stop and and talk about this each time because they're all different. This one group has this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're all non-Jewish. And here Peter gets to to see this happening. And these non-Jewish guys are speaking in tongues. And this shows us how the, the work of the Holy Spirit happens. It happens when and where he wants it to happen. We like to box God up, don't we? This is how God operates. 
This is my experience about how God works. So therefore, if anybody else has an experience that's not like this, they're wrong. We have to broaden our horizon. Now, it can't go against Scripture. It can't go against the Word of God. Because if it goes against the Word of God, what is it? Wrong. Period. But if it doesn't go against the Word of God, who are we to say, hey, that's completely wrong? Especially when it goes with the Word of God. Here these Gentiles were getting the same spirit as the Jews got. And I wonder if the only reason for this was that Peter and the other guys there could see that they had had the same experience that they experienced in Acts chapter 2. It says, then Peter said, verse 47, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And they ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is incredible. Here over a hundred families were affected by this. The centurion is the leader of these hundred men. And they will hear about this. And no doubt many of them were there. Many of them were probably saved right then and there. See, the Lord will use the Roman road. The Lord will use the Roman legion. The Lord will use the Roman slaves and, and the Roman prisoners to spread His gospel. It is like the Lord set this all up to happen at this point in history. And that's exactly what He did. The Lord sets up the history. The Lord sets up our lives. The Lord puts us in certain situations where we have a choice to either share about Him or refuse to share about Him. And my question to you is, what would you choose? What would you choose when... All of a sudden you find yourself in an unusual situation. And you're put there and you're sitting there going to the guys, I'm not quite sure about this. I'm very uncomfortable here. And that's exactly what Peter was. He was uncomfortable. And the Lord had him there for a reason. And he chose what the Lord wanted him to choose. Which was to do exactly what the Lord had him there to do. We have that same choice every day in our lives. Sometimes it's huge decisions And sometimes it's small decisions. Do we follow God or do we not? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this example of of Peter following you. And I pray that we start to recognize the steps that you take in our own lives. I pray that we start to recognize the point where we see your actions reflected in our own actions. That the choices we make reflect who you are in our life. That we're not just a Sunday Christian. We're not just one that shows up and and raises our hand maybe or, or sings a little. But then on Monday through Saturday, that we go out there and represent who you are and what you mean to our life. I pray now that you give us the strength. You give us the understanding. You give us the ability to share your good news to those that are around us. Maybe it's somebody who's been ready for so many years. And we just haven't taken the opportunity. Or maybe it's somebody we almost blindside with the message of the truth. The gospel of grace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, especially when you choose to do His will in your life. May His face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.